Hello and welcome to Physical Attraction. This episode is called One Step Beyond. When you see a news article, and I've written at least one of these myself, that says, such and such a person says we'll have working nuclear fusion within 15 years, you need to be very careful about the definitions they're using. Nuclear fusion, as in humans getting individual nuclei to fuse together, has been a reality since 1934, when Rutherford and his collaborators used a particle accelerator to bombard deuterium nuclei into each other. It was using the results from this experiment that they were able to measure the interaction cross-section, the likelihood, for such an interaction to take place between deuterium nuclei. But it's no good for making power, as the vast majority of nuclei bounce straight off each other and don't fuse together. You require a fuel at a very high temperature, undergoing lots of collisions, and producing sufficient energy as a result of fusion interactions that the whole thing is self-sustaining, and will produce more power than it requires to run. Nuclear fusion for energy was mostly just a pipe dream in the minds of a few physicists in scattered laboratories across the US, Europe and Japan, when in March 1951, Argentine President Juan Perón announced that he'd cracked it. Perón had hardly always been a friend of the sciences or academia in general. When he first came to power in 1946, he'd purged Argentina's universities, resulting in the firing of 10,000 professors, and this had started a huge rift between the academics and the Perón regime. Yet Perón, although perhaps no friend to scientists in particular, had the politician's wit and the military background to understand the advantages of keeping ahead of the scientific curve, and he was looking for an edge for his country. Despite this, efforts towards a nuclear programme in Argentina were pretty slow until they were noticed in 1947. In the political news magazine, The New Republic, William Mizell wrote an article about Perón's atomic plans. With world-famous German atom-splitter Werner Heisenberg invited to come to Argentina by Perón's government, and with a major uranium source discovered in Argentina, that nation is launching a military nuclear research program to crack Pandora's box of atomic energy wide open. Argentina's determined atomic adventure and its frankly military purposes cannot be dismissed as the impractical dream of a small nation. At least so said the article, and there was immediately considerable international pressure on Argentina to abandon its nuclear program. At this point, the US and the USSR were heading towards a shaky duopoly, and certainly neither of them wanted nuclear weapons to be developed by random countries in Latin America. Ironically, of course, this just made Perón all the more determined to develop the nuclear program, which more or less existed only on paper at that point. It was in this context, with Perón eager to flex his nuclear muscles, that one Ronald Richter showed up. Richter was one of the many émigrés formerly living under the Nazi regime who found their way to Argentina and South America in general in the years following the war. This was perhaps part of the reason why the New Republic were taking Argentina seriously as a nuclear threat, despite their smaller economy than some of the major powers. Of the German and European scientists who hadn't been scooped up by the US or the USSR, many of the remainder had gone to Argentina. But Richter was hardly one of the academic elite that the US and Russians had competed over. When he first wanted to study his thesis, which depending on the source was either awarded or not awarded, he wanted to look into the non-existent delta rays which emerged from the heart of the Earth. He had read about them, obviously not in a scientific journal, recalled one professor. One source suggests that the delta rays that Richter wanted to investigate were actually just x-rays that had scattered by the ground. He was not famous for his scientific aptitude and had no major publications to speak of before now. But Argentina was looking for scientists, it was looking to compete on the world stage. With the USSR and the US grabbing a great deal of the major scientists, Argentina was left with Richter, and Perón told him to come up with a project. Richter told him that he could make nuclear fusion happen, 
providing unlimited power for Perón's government, providing he had an essentially unlimited budget. Apparently Richter, who had to communicate with Perón in broken English or through a translator, struggled to get his precise point across, but one thing that he did was continue to point at the flag, the sun in the Argentine flag. I can do this, he said. I can bring you this. I can bring you the sun. Despite his lack of scientific credibility, Richter must have had something about him, even if he was just a good salesman. Perhaps the same wild enthusiasm which failed when trying to persuade his professors about delta rays worked on Juan Perón. Perón, for his part, was probably blinded by the dream of being able to achieve nuclear fusion, providing all the energy that Argentina would need to industrialise. He gave Richter a blank cheque for his research. In classic mad scientist fashion, Richter actually got an entirely secret island to work on his project. The story goes that Richter flew around Argentina on an aeroplane and got to point to his favourite location, which was a small island in the middle of a lake with plenty of access to fresh water. The Isle of Hommel was converted into Ronald's personal laboratory. The reason for the secrecy was probably a combination of avoiding international scrutiny and also avoiding the scrutiny of Argentina's mainstream scientific community, most of whom strongly disliked Perón. But for Ronald, those years must have been great. He had 400 staff on this beautiful island and built an 11 metre tall bunker filled with various bits of scientific apparatus. All in all, the Hummel project, from start to finish, would cost around $300 million. According to Enrico Fantoni, quote, When in mid-construction it was determined that some radial 5cm pipes leading to the 1400 cubic metre reactor's core had been installed incorrectly, Richter made the builders tear down the entire cement structure and build it again from scratch. One wonders if he was maybe stalling for time a little bit at this point. Perón must have been a little concerned about where his millions of pesos were going after three years. By March 25th, 1951, however, they apparently deemed the secret project ready to be shown to the world. You can still see the archive footage of Perón and Richter appearing together, to the delighted applause of the gathered attendees. Perón claimed that the experiments had brought matter to a temperature of millions of degrees, and that the fusion energy plant was in the process of making artificial suns on Earth. He didn't undersell it. The swaggering dictator described Richter's discoveries as, quote, transcendental for the future life of the peoples of the world, and bringing Argentina a greatness which today we cannot begin to imagine. Richter, for his part, was no less enthusiastic about the project. He said, quote, what the Americans get when they explode a hydrogen bomb, we in Argentina achieve in the laboratory and under control. As of today, we know of a totally new way of obtaining atomic energy. For the first time, a thermonuclear reaction has been produced in a reactor that uses no materials thought to be indispensable. Initially, there was a great deal of hype in the media surrounding these announcements, including the famous New York Times front cover story. But the reaction from the mainstream scientific community was swift and harsh. Sure, it was an era of scientific breakthroughs, but the idea that some random physicist no one had ever heard of had achieved nuclear fusion reactions, essentially on his own, with no collaborators, no input from the mainstream scientific community, on a secret island, and providing very sketchy details, something that didn't add up. You have to remember that at this time, nuclear secrets were very closely guarded things. The US and the Soviet Union, in 1951, were the only nations ever to have successfully tested a nuclear bomb. Heck, the world's first nuclear fission power plant, which followed much more simply than the bomb, had been not tested yet. The machine, the EBR-1, would generate enough power to light up four light bulbs at the end of that year. 
Nuclear research was classified and secret in all nations. The idea that the Argentine government might have leapfrogged everyone else without anyone having a clue about it seemed unlikely. Perhaps there was a degree of arrogance on the behalf of the Americans. After all, in March of 1951, the only research into fusion was for weapons. Spitzer hadn't come up with the Stellarator idea, and the Perhapsitron had not yet been proposed or funded. The idea that the US might be beaten to the punch by the Soviets was one thing, but in a field that they hadn't even begun to take seriously, and by Argentina, that was quite another idea. Former Manhattan Project physicist Ralph Lapp summed up his feelings about the initial reaction to the Argentine project when he said, I know what material the Argentines are using, it's baloney. Yet some of the physicists were less keen to dismiss the project entirely. On the 1st of April, the New York Times reported that a French physicist was supporting Richter's claims, and it was saying that he had recently performed experiments that were very similar. This seemed a little sketchy because no one really knew what Richter's experiment actually was. Details of both, of course, remained shrouded in secrecy. Richter had leaked a few details. He called the device the Thermotron and claimed that it worked by fusing deuterium and lithium together, creating microfusion bombs that were contained within the concrete walls of the reactor. He also claimed that the temperatures required were only 5,000 Celsius, conveniently just within the range where you might believe that the fusion could be contained in a concrete bunker, but substantially below the theoretically calculated range based on the energy requirements. So how exactly was Richter's fusion supposed to work? Like plenty of these dodgy experiments, it's not entirely clear. According to one account, the best he did was to burn hydrogen in an arc of electricity. Hydrogen will burn. It reacts with oxygen to produce water vapour, and the squeaky pop experiment is well known to school children everywhere. Apparently, Richter then bombarded the burning hydrogen with lithium ions, which caused an explosion that cracked the concrete structure. One version of the experiment took place in a tube, which was supposed to reflect energy to keep the reaction going. It seems that, at one point, Richter ordered the original reactor to be torn down in favour of building a magnetic confinement device, but nothing ever came of it. There are also tales of readings on a Geiger counter that suggest radiation levels were high inside the concrete bunker. Other, more charitable accounts suggest that Richter did have some new ideas, including blasting the plasma with sound waves to compress and heat it further, which would explain why he felt the need to buy a very powerful loudspeaker and have it delivered to the island. Interestingly, this method ion acoustic heating, would come back later and was rediscovered by serious physicists, but it certainly didn't lead to fusion within a few months. Chances are that we'll never really know what precisely was going on inside the Hummel reactor. Maybe Richter was just sat in there reading the funny papers and occasionally blowing up a tank of hydrogen to keep up appearances. Or maybe he was frantically trying out as many different things as possible, under pressure from Perron, knowing that he could be arrested and even killed if he made mistakes. Or maybe he genuinely was delusional about his own ability, entranced by the fire of his explosions, and convinced himself that he was on the verge of achieving fusion, and just needed to keep Perron on side, by falsifying a few data points until he got it to work. Like all such dodgy fusion experiments, like all such pyramid schemes as this starts to seem, no one was allowed to see the reactor or verify the results for themselves. The result was a great deal of media froth with approximately zero scientific discussion, but a lot of juicy quotes for journalists and scientists to seize on. The whole affair was summarised by Austrian physicist Hans Thiering in one of these barbs. He was the director of the Institute for Theoretical Physics in Vienna, and he wrote in a journal that, quote, It is a 50% probability that Perron is giving credit to the ravings of a fantasist, a 40% probability that the president has been the victim of a huge scam, 
a 9% chance that Richter and Perron are attempting to bluff the entire world into thinking they have nuclear fusion, and a 1% chance that Richter is telling the truth. End quote. Harsh. But Richter for himself fought back. He said, quote, We are deeply sorry for her theoring, who has revealed himself to be a typical textbook professor with a strong scientific inferiority complex, probably supported by political hatred. End quote. Anyone who has ever dealt with a crank or a conspiracy theorist will get a sense of where Richter's head was at in June of 1953 when he gave that statement. All the tropes are there. It's just a shame that no one used the word sheeple in the 1950s. I will give him some credit. Thiering said that there was a 40% chance that Richter was attempting to scam Perron. I don't think that was necessarily true because, if this was a scam, Richter certainly should have tried to flee Argentina with millions of ill-gotten pesos at some point. I think the most likely thing here is that Richter was probably deluding himself, in the same way as people who run Ponzi schemes delude themselves. He's like the physics equivalent of Bernie Madoff, forced to fake the results and make ever more elaborate claims as his whole empire, built on non-existent foundations, comes crashing down. Fed by the dream of nuclear fusion, delusions of grandeur, and under immense pressure from Perron to get this thing right, he had wasted millions of dollars on an unscientific pipe dream. The tragedy of people who manage to make these castles of sand is that they often really are given the opportunity to plumb the depths of desperation before they get put out of their misery. Such was the case with Richter. His sceptics mocked him when they saw him in public with a bandage on his hand. Did one of your atomic bombs explode again? Eventually, so the story goes, he was brought down by a navy pilot called Pedro. The man visited to inspect the plant and noticed that Richter was essentially just blowing up tanks of gas filled with nitrogen and hydrogen, then scribbling the words nuclear energy onto scraps of paper. This just confirmed the scepticism that many outside of Perron's inner circle had about the Richter project, and those who had consulted physicists about the claims were even more sceptical. He convinced Perron, who was increasingly suspicious that Richter was failing to fulfil any of his grand promises, to launch an investigation into the whole project. In September 1952, Six desperate months after the press conference where he had announced a nuclear fusion breakthrough, a team of scientists actually came to visit the project. Oddly enough, the Geiger counters that the physicists brought with them saw no signs of any additional radiation. Yet Richter's Geiger counters didn't react when they were exposed to a lump of highly radioactive radium. Curiouser and curiouser. The investigation quickly reported back to Perron that there were no nuclear reactions occurring on the island. However, interestingly, we do have the first-hand account from one Juan G. Roderer, who, as a young scientist, was tasked with cleaning up the Hummel project to see what could be salvaged from Richter's failed experiments. He remembered his experience 50 years later, in 2003. He said, quote, He had built a powerful electric arc system in open air, extended across the gap of a huge electromagnet. He would inject lithium and hydrogen, which, surprise, always exploded with a big bang. An array of Geiger counters nearby monitored the gamma rays from what was supposed to be a fusion reaction, and Richter would declare the counter's response to be definite proof of success. But once he had to relinquish command of his project, it became evident that the counter system responded efficiently to the large electromagnetic fields present whenever the arc was on, whether or not there was lithium and hydrogen, or supposed explosions and fusion reactions taking place. Richter's experiments were a scam. Perron was embarrassed on the world stage. At best, he'd given in to delusions of grandeur, and at worst, he'd been swindled by a scientific con artist. By December 1952, the New York Times reported, quote, Argentina's atomic energy project has exploded with the force of a bursting soap bubble, it appeared today. According to engineers who had been engaged on the top-secret project, 
all the 300 workers in Argentina's atomic energy pilot plant on Hummel Island at San Carlos de Bariloche have been dismissed. Richter himself was utterly humiliated, and after Perón's regime fell, even briefly jailed over investigations into corruption under Perón. It seems that he lived the rest of his life out in total obscurity, and obviously no reputable lab would ever take him in again for scientific experiments. He died in 1991. Despite the fact that this first ever claim of nuclear fusion was merely the first in a long line of fakes, it had its influence on history. It was stories of the wild claims from Richter and Perron that helped spur more nuclear physicists to think about how a working nuclear fusion reactor might be built, how those temperatures and pressures could be obtained. The classic story of Lyman Spitzer, the grandfather of the nuclear fusion program in the US, is that he got a phone call skiing from a relative who'd read the New York Times headline. This was the first time that Spitzer had considered harnessing nuclear fusion to generate electrical power, even though he studied plasmas for a living. A few months later, he was pitching his Stellarator fusion reactor design for funding. It's probably fair to say that the furore around fusion after the Argentine announcement played a part in helping Spitzer and Tuck to get the funding for their nuclear fusion reactors. Physicists in the USSR and in the UK had been dabbling with small-scale fusion experiments but struggling to get funding. The attention that came from the lengthy scientific battle in the press over Richter's experiments almost certainly helped them to get that money, which launched the first serious efforts into fusion. An illustrative anecdote from Robin Herman's book on fusion about how Perón's announcement sparked the Soviet bureaucracy into life. Quote, The coordination of funding in industry had dragged on for three and a half months and might have gone on for longer, had not one D. Efremov, extremely excited, run to Kirkutov with an issue of a magazine in his hand, in which the results of Richter and the announcement of Perón were reported. Kirkutov immediately informed the administration of this, and in the course of a week or two, all our proposals were accepted and the funds were allocated. So Ronald Richter played his part in the history of nuclear fusion, however indirect and ignominious it may be. And finally, much of the equipment that Richter bought, including what was for decades South America's only particle accelerator, found its way into reputable scientific institutions and was used for more genuine research. Yet at the same time, the sad story of Richter and Perron's baloney bomb acts as a cautionary tale. This was the first time that the world would be disappointed by claims of nuclear fusion that were exaggerations at best, or outright fraud at worst. It would not be the last time. Amongst all the scientific breakthroughs, perhaps driven by our perception that it really would revolutionise the world, fusion seems the most prone to hype, charlatans, delusions and disappointment. In 1951, Juan Perón promised the Argentine people that he could bottle the energy of the sun, in his case literally dispensing the energy in tiny pint-sized bottles to households. Nearly 70 years on, though, and the dream of a world powered by nuclear fusion is still decades away. Thank you for listening to this episode of Physical Attraction. You know the drill by now, www.physicspodcast.com for the contact forms, the donations, and the Patreon link, the possibility to buy old archived episodes. You can also follow us on Twitter at PhysicsPod and Physical Attraction on Facebook, but the best place to get in contact is via that contact form with any questions, concerns, comments, ideas for future episodes, things you'd like me to improve, things you think are going well. All feedback is greatly appreciated, and as always, the best thing you can do to help support the show is tell as many people as you know who might possibly be interested in it to have a listen. Until next time then, take care.